Thank you, Dan and choir and instrumentalists for beautiful worship this morning. Turn your Bible to the Mithean Gospel, Matthew chapter 1, the forgotten character of Christmas. Matthew chapter 1. Have you ever been in a play? I was sort of lost, a ninth grader in high school trying to find my place. I, I know that you'll find this very, very shocking. I still can't believe it myself, but none of the coaches in high school were knocking at my door. None had taken note of my athletic prowess, and the football team probably wasn't going to be the best fit. During my soul-searching to find my community in high school, I, I saw a poster proclaiming a school play would so, soon be underway, and that anyone and everyone was welcome to audition for a part. Well, I was comfortable in front of people. I can memorize lines. Maybe that's the place for me, the Wade Hampton High School player. I showed up for my audition, was handed some lines, and asked to read several parts from the upcoming play. All was going swell until, until the drama director asked me to come over to the piano and sing My Country Tis of Thee while he accompanied me. What? The poster didn't say anything about this being a musical. What does singing have to do with the play? He started playing and I started butchering. Butchering the beloved song, doing dishonor to both music and mankind. The drama coach had the most pained look on his face as he pounded away on the piano. And the more I sang, the louder he played as if to mercifully cover up the catastrophe. It was a monotone massacre. Thank you, he said quickly and showed me the door. Now, those of you who have tried out for these very important parts know how it works. They post the parts awarded on the drama room door. You have to go by the next day and find your name and see what part you have in the play. Well, I started at the top hoping that it wasn't as bad as it seemed to me. Looked at the very lead character, the male character. No. Well, look down at the supporting cast. No. Well, there are some crowd scenes. I quickly scanned the crowd scenes. No. And believe it or not, in this play, there are actually a few parts for just motionless trees, and I thought there will surely be an ego-saving tree part for me. No. I mean, how hard could that be? I, I, think, I, I think I could have mastered the tree. Well, I was awarded no part, which you're in the ninth grade means you are a no-body. Rejected. Let's travel back to your childhood. It's the annual children's Christmas play. Your teacher is assigning the parts. Great part, Mary. 
Mary beams and acknowledges all the adoration she receives, and she even has a solo part, Mary. And isn't it swell to be a shepherd? A shepherd who gets to adore the Christ child. Angels get to, to form a choir and flex their wings, and the wise men get to carry all the gold and goodies to God. And even the sheep and cows get to put on the furry costumes and make some moo sounds on occasion. But we've made Joseph so small at Christmas. Look how tiny he is compared to Mary and the baby. Through the ages, for some unknown reason, Joseph has become a small peripheral character to the whole story. He might as well be a standstill tree, hadn't he? I mean, if you're Joseph, you don't get to say anything in the Christmas play. A narrator just reads about you, and you walk around. You are the forgotten character of Christmas, this little Joseph, but... I'm not sure that that's fair. Luke tells the story from the mother's perspective, from Mary's perspective. But Matthew tells the story from Joseph's perspective. The whole miracle of Christmas momentarily rested on Joseph's shoulders and his free decision to accept or reject the stunning news that the Messiah was going to arrive and the shocking way in which the Messiah would enter the world. I mean, it's one thing to read and venerate the prophets like Isaiah 714, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a child. It's one thing to read. It is quite another to have one's own fiance suddenly become pregnant from an unknown source and have to accept it all in stride. As one writer said about Joseph, he opened his heart and his spirit, his home and his whole future to the intrusion, which must certainly have felt more like an invasion of the divine. Let's start all the way back to the beginning of Matthew. Luke, of course, is the text of choice for Christmas. You won't go to many Christmas Eve services where they use Matthew. No, you want to hear Luke too, don't you? There went out a decree from Caesar Augustus, and all the world should be taxed. But that's Mary's perspective. Matthew starts a different way, and Matthew, well, Matthew speaks of Joseph more. Look how Matthew starts in 1-1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. To Abraham was born Isaac, and to Isaac Jacob, and to Jacob Judah and his brothers. You get the picture. It's that list of names. When you look at your daily Bible reading and you have that list of names, you, well, you read it really fast, don't you? And you don't look at it very deeply. And, well, can we travel back in time this morning? Can we treat it as more than just a list of names? 
and see what it might have meant to those who first read Matthew's gospel. Tracing one's family pedigree is regarded by many societies as enormously important, really part of who you are in those days. Now, I've never really explored the genealogy of my family, neither my father's line nor my mother's line, because once you discover it, you got to deal with it, don't you? You turn over enough rocks in my family, you're going to find a mountain man in the hills up yonder making some moonshine. That's what you're going to find. I'm from the foothills of South Carolina. There's a little show called Moonshiners or Moonshine or something like that. And I was watching an episode, and it was about the third one I was watching. And my children said, why do you watch that show? I said, that's your family in South Carolina. <laughs> right there. They show my hometown on that show all the time on that map, Greenville, South Carolina, right there. Meanwhile, in the hills of Greenville, South Carolina, that Jim Tom surely is my great uncle somewhere back there. Genealogies are not to be ignored or discounted in antiquity. In traditional societies, family trees were a vital part of who you are. In such ancient worlds, the telling of one's ancestry was the equivalent of building a resume. In fact, you might call a drum roll and a trumpet fanfare, and you might say, gather around, pay attention. This is who he is. Let's hear his lineage. And any first century Jew would have found Matthew's list both impressive and compelling. Like a great procession of a parade down Main Street, we watch the beginning of the parade and we pay attention in the middle, but we're all waiting to the very end like Santa Claus coming at the end of Macy's Thanksgiving parade. Where is this parade leading? Who's the end of the lineage. Now, we begin here with Abraham and Matthew's genealogy. Now, most Jews would begin telling their ancestry by beginning with Abraham, but only a select few in the first century AD would be able to trace themselves, verse 6, to David, and even fewer still, because David had many sons, would trace themselves, verse 7, to Solomon and through all the other kings of Judah. Do you know there's 15 kings in Jesus' lineage here in Matthew? 15 kings. To list all those kings and telling your lineage, your heritage, your genealogy, your story. Now, you would not want Herod's spies to hear you saying you were that connected to the royal family, but that's exactly, as exactly what Matthew does for Jesus. There's a lot of kings in Jesus' list here. But more important than even all these kings, including David and Solomon, is the fact that Jesus is the apex of the lineage. He is at the end of Matthew's parade. He's the real fruit to be picked from this family tree. Matthew arranges his genealogy into 
three groups of 14. You might read it another way as six groups of seven. The number seven was, of course, the most symbolic and powerful number in Judaism. And if you break Matthew down into six groups of seven, we arrive at Jesus as the first member of the seventh of seven. The highest point, the climax of the story, beginning the first of the seven sevens, it is Jesus. Meaning, Matthew is saying, this is the Messiah that we have waited for for thousands of years. This is the lineage starting with Abraham through all the 15 kings, and here he is. Now, as an aside, and this is another sermon for another day, we can't really visit here today, but in the list of these great patriarchs like Abraham and great kings like David and Solomon, there are some shady ladies in Matthew's genealogy for Jesus. There's Tamar, verse 2, who played the role of the prostitute. There's Rahab, who was a prostitute. And, well, you see, those are interesting that they're included as well along with the kings. But finally, by verse 16, here we have it. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom was born Jesus. Jacob, Joseph, Jesus. Now, Matthew is making clear that Joseph is the legal father of Jesus, but he's also making very clear that Jesus is only biologically connected to Mary, that by whom refers to Mary. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Mary, by whom was born Jesus. Joseph the forgotten character of Christmas makes Matthew's list. Well, let's look at the story. Let's begin in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Joseph has a crisis on his hands. 
His fiance is pregnant, and he isn't the father of the baby. And while reproductive science wasn't then as it is now, everybody, even back then, knew where babies come from. Joseph knew. And he is not yet aware of the workings and the way of God. He didn't want to embarrass Mary. He wanted to avoid the extreme. He didn't want to make her a public example. He didn't want to cover his shame with hers. He didn't want to cover his shame with hers. What do we know about Joseph? First of all, righteous. Joseph was a righteous man. Look at there in verse 19. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man. Who else in this gospel is called righteous? The other character in this gospel who's called righteous is Jesus. Joseph, like Jesus, according to Matthew's estimation, is righteous. Fast forward in your mind all the way to Matthew 27, when Pilate is trying to decide what to do with this character, Jesus, that the Jews are insisting be crucified, and his wife comes to him and says in Matthew 27, have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I was tortured in a dream about him last night. Pilate's wife says, don't have anything to do with the execution of Jesus, this whom she calls, not even by name, his name to her is righteous man. So Joseph, like Jesus, is righteous. His righteousness is seen in his kind attitude toward Mary. In his anger, he could have desired to expose her as an adulteress, a presumed adulteress, but instead, even before the angel speaks to him as a righteous man, he will do it all quietly for Mary's sake and not cover his shame by causing her shame. There's another R here for Joseph. He was a man of radical submission. He was a man of radical submission. Over the years, Joseph had cultivated a reverence for God and a sensitivity to the voice of God. He must have created silence in his life so God could speak. He must have created space in his life so God could be present. And therefore, when God is present to the person of the angel, Joseph both heard and obeyed the word of God. The words of God, the angel, must have sounded like this to Joseph. Joseph, you've been chosen. 
You will name him Jesus, Savior. You will raise him. You will care for him. You will protect him and his mother. Emmanuel will live under your roof and sit on your lap, and you will change his diaper, and you will teach him how to walk and how to paddle a boat and how to use a hammer and a saw. Being obedient was a way of life for Joseph. Surely Joseph had imagined an ordinary life being a gifted tradesman as a carpenter, following as a righteous man the laws of God, but God intervened, God invaded, God interrupted and changed his life through this dream forever. Notice, the angel tells Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary for your wife. End your divorce plans because that which was within her is of the Holy Spirit, that the birth of Jesus was, in fact, the fulfillment of the prophecy, Isaiah, behold, a virgin shall conceive. Joseph responds with radical submission. Look at verse 24. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. Radical obedience. It happens again. Turn over to, to chapter 2 and verse 13. Now, now, when they had departed, that's the wise men, now, when the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And look what he does. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. Radical obedience. Radical submission to the commands of God. Surely he wanted to go back to Galilee to, to be a carpenter where he had connections and had work. And no, they would have no room in Egypt for a Jewish carpenter. But the angel said, you get out of here. Herod's going to be mad. There's going to be a slaughter of innocents, a slaughter of babies. And he takes the child and the mother and he does exactly what the angel says. Look at verse 19 of chapter 2. It happens again. And when Herod was dead, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to, in a dream to Joseph, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. Herod died. And he arose and took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. Every time God speaks, Joseph obeys. Radically submissive to the word of God. There's a, a third R. He had a risky faith. A risky faith. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to start a contest here. But you just ponder it. it, it it's good exercise philosophically. Who has the greatest faith, Joseph or Mary? Well, Mary knew she hadn't been with a man. Joseph had to believe the impossible. As a woman with a child, Mary knew her body was changing. She knew the child was growing in her womb. 
She had absolute knowledge that she had not been with a man. So Mary really has no reason to doubt the promise. But Joseph, wow, what a risky faith. There must have been times after the angel disappeared and the dream was distant that there, there might, have, might have seemed like there might be another explanation for Mary's pregnancy. Times when Joseph was torn, he was human between doubt and belief when the power of the laws of nature were in competition with the word of the angel, and yet he was willing in Matthew 1 and Matthew 2 to be radically obedient to the impossible. He had a risky faith. Here's the fourth thing Joseph had, remarkable devotion, remarkable devotion. In his marriage to Mary and the responsibility of raising Jesus, Joseph had to change every priority in his life. All of his pursuits and goals and dreams took a, a back seat to the fact that he was going to be the father of a king. And in Luke 125, we are told, he even set aside as a new husband physical relations with Mary as commanded until after the birth of Jesus. He was remarkably devoted to the plan of God. Fifth, he was a role model father, a role model father. Now, when Jesus speaks of father, in the New Testament, he's speaking of God, the Father, right? Our Father who art in heaven. That's a reference not to Joseph, but to, to, to Yahweh. Or, or when Jesus says, I and my Father are one, he's not speaking of Joseph. He's speaking of the heavenly Father, is he not? But where did Jesus? After all, don't forget, he is fully human where did he get the impression growing up about what a loving father could be like? On the human side of this mysterious story, Jesus understood what it meant for someone to be a loving father because Joseph had been a loving father to him. Now you go home for about two hours and think about that today, that Jesus learned from Joseph what a loving father looks like. Finally, number six, responsibility. Joseph had the responsibility of naming the Messiah. Look at verse 21. She will bear a son, and you, Joseph, you will name him Jesus. And he shall be called, verse 23, Emmanuel, which means God with us. We see this baby perhaps through these two names. Jesus, Hebrew, Joshua, a character in the Old Testament. It means Yahweh saves, God saves. And this new Joshua, this new Jesus will save us not from the Egyptians or the inhabitants of the promised land. He will save them from their sins, verse 21. And then there's that second name, Emmanuel, from Isaiah 7, 14. Emmanuel means God with us. Now, have you ever noticed this? Matthew bookends, you will name this baby 
Jesus, he shall be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. What are the last words of this gospel? Jesus says, for lo, I will be with you to the end of the age. You see that? Emmanuel, we begin the story, God with us. And what's the other book in at the end? Jesus says, I'm Emmanuel. I will be with you to the end of the age. God is present with his people, but he doesn't intervene from a distance. He's always active, sometimes in the most unexpected ways. Joseph's eyes dart around the stable. Not a minute to lose. Quickly, a feeding trough would have to do for the cradle. And he looks and he looks and maybe hay would be for the bed. And blankets, blankets, what am I going to do for blankets? Oh, my outer robe will do. And look at those claws on the line someone's put out there. I'll have to borrow those to wrap the baby with. And a gripping contraction doubles Mary over and sends Joseph off running for a jar of water. The birth would not be easy, either for the mother or for the child, for every royal privilege for this son ended at conception. A scream from Mary, nice through the calm of the silent night, and Joseph returns breathless, water sloshing from the jar. The top of the baby's head has already pushed its way into the world. Sweat pours from Mary's contorted face as Joseph, the most unlikely midwife in all of Judea, rushes to her side. The involuntary contractions are not enough, and Mary has to push with all of her strength, almost as if God is refusing to come into the world without Mary's help. And Joseph places a garment underneath her with a final push and a long sigh. Her labor is over and the Messiah has arrived. And except for Joseph, there is no one there to share Mary's pain nor anyone there to share her joy. Let us pray. Oh God, in your mystery, You chose Joseph just as surely as you chose Mary. We look at his life and we can learn so much about obedience and righteousness and role model. God, you're about to intervene in humanity. 
sending the Messiah as a Bethlehem baby. And these next few weeks, may we prepare our hearts for the Christ child and all that his invasion, his intrusion, his interruption means to our lives. God, thank you for Emmanuel. For lo, he is with us until the very end of the age. Amen.